And welcome back to Equity, a podcast all about the business of startups, where we unpack the numbers and the nuance behind the headlines. My name is Alex Wilhelm. I'm part of the TC crew, and I'm joined today, as always, by Natasha Moscarenas. Natasha, are are you still alive? (laughs) I don't know what this podcast is going to be today. Full disclosure, I slept last night, which is good, but I'm... Yeah, very stream of consciousness vibes from me today. How are you? I'm good. I'm doing a number of podcasts today in and around the Yahoo family and outside because everyone in the non-financial world is now talking about SVB. And so it's kind of off to do explainers. So, you know, I'm good. But if anything else breaks in the banking world, f*** them. Oh my God. I, it's actually hilarious to me. I haven't been able to listen to last week's episode yet, but if you listen to it, listeners probably caught us talking about SVB in the beginning of it. And we were kind of like, all that aside, let's talk about the actual news this week. Right. And now it's like, well, let's not talk about anything this week because maybe we're going to jinx it all over again. I mean, for a while there, you and I were doing kind of daily Twitter spaces just to recap the day's news. That's how crazy it's been. So anyways, obviously, we've been under less stress than people who were actually impacted by the crisis. Yes. But good disclosure. You know, it did. (laughs) It did disrupt our lives a little bit. All right. Before we get into what we're talking about this week and the show itself, a small note from the production team, which is that we would love it if you drop us a review on Apple Podcasts. If our producers can find the right names and stuff, we're going to shout people out. So, you know, drop us a, I want to say a five-star review, but whatever you think is appropriate that we've earned, we would love to hear from you that way. Um, Do five stars, actually. Only five-star reviews from my end, please. You know, free pod, one small way that you can make us look good internally and externally, actually, would be to leave a review. So thank you in advance. And we'll definitely give shout outs to hopefully all the thousands and millions of people who leave us reviews in the next It's going to be like 13. But I'm here for it. I appreciate you all. All right. uh, On the show this week, we're going to talk about a couple of major transactions, Qualtrics, T-Mobile, Mint. There's a lot going on. We're going to talk about layoffs at Meta, what's going on with NASPERS. And then we have a couple of important themes, kind of a SVB update. It's going to be self-contained and brief, I promise. We're going to talk about GPT-4, my new favorite acronym. And then also at the end, YC and multi-stage VC and what's going on in startup land. So it's going to be an absolute pile today. Marianne is on vacation, so it's just the two of us, and we shall endeavor to keep you entertained. And we're going to kick off, Natasha, with some actually big M&A news, which is kind of surprising because it feels like there hasn't been as much of this activity in the last couple of months. No, I mean, I think last time we talked about Qualtrics, I brought up Adobe and Figma, and I feel like I was saying that the M&A world feels a lot like a will-they-won't-they moment. But this week very much made me look silly for saying that because we had a ton of examples. Qualtrics update is that they did accept a 12.5% billion dollar all cash acquisition offer to go private. And that's from the private equity firm Silver Lake and Canada Pension Plan Investment Board. So, I mean, it was a little over a week after the acquisition, you know, bid first came to light. You know, I never thought I'd talk about Canada so into my life. And I didn't <laughs> expect that when I did, it was going to be constantly about Canadian pension funds. But apparently that's just kind of what Canadian pension funds do is just go south of the border and invest. You're so right. They're always out here making, making news, making our show. Yeah. Canadian pensions. Are you like hungry for media attention or are you just too rich for your own good? They want to be like main characters because Canada's tech ecosystem has a little bit of a chip on its shoulder. (laughs) It does, but not even very fairly. If you go back through the uh, 2021 cycle, Canadian companies did well. 
We just, Canada. We just. We just. Qualtrics was not the only major deal that's been going on lately. We've also heard about a company called, and I'm just going to guess here, Cvent. Yes. I'm going to completely share the blame with you if we get that wrong, but. If it's Cvent, then y'all spelled it poorly. Yeah, then it's your fault. But, you know, similar to how Qualtrics was taken private, Cvent is also being taken private again. And that's part of a $4.6 billion transaction. Again, a private equity deal. Private equity is like coming out this week. It, coming out swinging this week. But what's funny is both Qualtrics and Cvent have a history of going private, going public, going private, and kind of doing this, this awkward dance between ownership structures. And I just got to think it's got to be exhausting. Yeah. Because every time that TechCrunch has been bought and sold as part of a larger transaction, you have to change your corporate systems, your insurance, how you handle this and that. And it's an enormous PITA. So I hope that Cvent, which apparently is an older company than I actually knew, going back to kind of the first dot-com boom. Yeah. I hope that they do well. I hope that the price makes sense. And I hope that the employees are well taken care of. This does smell more normal private equity-ish to me than some other stuff we've talked about. And so I'm a little bit concerned, but you know, it's another multi-billion dollar deal. So there you go. Yeah. Well, we are kind of going to end on an atypical note because we're bringing up Ryan Reynolds on the podcast. It doesn't happen a ton, but you know, people might know that he is the face and an owner of Mint Mobile, which is a budget-friendly wireless provider. He has partial ownership. And this week, T-Mobile announced that they are acquiring Mint Mobile in a deal valued at up to $1.35 billion. You know, T-Mobile... Boosting its prepaid offerings, cool. But Ryan Reynolds on equity, even cooler, some would say. All right. So there's people out here listening right now who are like, Shit, who's Ryan Reynolds? So apart from having a name that starts both names with the same letter, who is Mr. Reynolds? Oh my God. A gem that we don't deserve. But he's married to Blake Lively and he's just a super famous actor in movies that I can't tell you. Blake Lively was famous for her role in... Gossip Girl. And we talked about during the production meeting, she was the Gossip Girl series. Oh, wow, we're talking about all the things I care about. Is Gossip Girl the one with like the the daughter who's like a journalist? Or is that Gilmore Girls? That's Gilmore Girls, which is a oh. iconic show in its own right. But Gossip Girl, think rich, private, preppy, New York, Upper East Side drama. There was a secret blogger called Gossip Girl that was exposing gossip all through the school and causing havoc. A type of journalist, some would say. Mm, yeah. You learn new stuff on equity every week. Come <laughs> here for all... No, I mean, we're, I mean, pop culture is culture, so it matters. T-Mobile, $1.35 billion. I did do some research and Mint Mobile was running on T-Mobile's network. So essentially, they were kind of a MVNO, one of those kind of like virtual networks on top of the existing network. So okay. it makes sense to go kind of into the T-Mobile family. And of course, we are seeing consolidation in the overall US wireless landscape as before. I'll take it. Yeah. Unless you want to save money on your mobile plan, then it's not very good. Okay, fair. Speaking about saving money, though, word on the street is that there is blood on the Facebook because Meta is going to cut another 10,000 jobs and cancel low priority projects. Now, Natasha, this is not the last round of layoffs at Meta. This is, in fact, an entirely new chunk of mass firings. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Just to like walk people through it. I mean, the news around it shows how much they're retracting from hiring. They're withdrawing around 5,000 open roles. This is four months after the company cut 11,000 roles. And this is the weird part because they're kind of pulling a Microsoft and previewing that they're going to have more layoffs to come. Their restructuring is going to start in their tech section in April, followed by their business groups in May. And so I'm kind of like, I guess I get why you're previewing, but I also don't know how this helps with anyone staying at your company until May or April. 
Well, it's they're telling people to get out. Yeah. This is a way to, to get people to quit. Cheaper. And um, they announced it now because they want to get ahead of earnings. So Facebook will drop earnings in April or early May at the latest, probably. And so they're getting ahead of whatever that includes. And the stock price is up. And they're putting the fear of death into a lot of folks. And so it's going to help thin their ranks anyways. And this goes against everything that I was taught about layoffs. Layoffs should be done quickly and once not slowly and twice. Yeah, that's so true. When you're that size and you're so right because the stock did react positively to layoffs and any sort of idea of restructuring to prioritize less expenses. I imagine that this can always be used, unfortunately, as like an approach for a big tech company, which is a bummer to say out loud and something I think I just it just hit me that this could totally be just be used for that reason. Yeah. I mean, my little joke about this is that the layoffs will continue until investor morale improves. Wow. The human cost of all of this is enormous. And the financial benefit is single digit billions. So according to the fine folks over at Meta, they think their full year 23 expenses will be between 86 and 92 billion. Mm -hmm. All right. That's down from a previous estimate of about 95. That's all the money they're saving. Well, now, to be clear, it is billions of dollars. Sure. But like, if you've seen Meta's revenues, you begin to wonder how much sense this makes. Remember when Airbnb cut so much staff early in the pandemic and they were they were praised for how they did it because the vibe was they wanted to hire these people back? Yeah, 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 yeah. This is kind of the opposite of that. Yeah, this is like kind of what you said. It's like leave and then also people who aren't getting fired, you should probably leave too because we're probably going to look at you at some point. And yeah, you're not focused too much on morale at all at that point. They had one other news, which is like they are winding on support for NFTs on Instagram and Facebook. And I'm curious, Alex, if that surprised you. <laughs> I mean, every single time anything shows any sort of social momentum or momentum in the social world, you know, of, of apps and so forth, Facebook tries it. Yeah. And nearly always it fails and usually embarrassingly. And so if I recall, Instagram was late to the NFT thing, missed the boat. And now they're just sitting on the pond by themselves in the rain. And so, <laughs> all right, give it up. But I mean, like, my God, they're, they're trying to copy TikTok. They tried to copy Twitch. They tried to copy the creator economy. They tried to copy the newsletter game. I mean, this is a company really without ideas. And I think it goes to show in their growth. I mean, they, they had an idea of doing many things and they staffed up for it. Yeah. And then they decided not to do that either. So what is this company? I don't have the answer to that question. The The only optimistic argument I've heard actually came from a former tech cruncher, Josh Constine, and who's not Signifier. And he said something along the lines of the only silver lining is like this Facebook talent that has been thus locked up. I mean, Facebook was the one that was driving up startup offers. I remember talking to a founder like two years ago who said, I could try and hire an engineer, but she's going to get paid a mil from Facebook. So why would I even try? And now that these people are getting unleashed back on their market, unfortunately, not out of their own choosing we might see some of these really smart people enter tech companies, start their own, et cetera, et cetera, which we still don't have data on it. But when I did look at this, we did see a lot of laid off talent starting companies coming from Meta. So there is some energy that I'm hoping redistributes. Maybe if there wasn't a bank crash, it would sound even better, but feels a little silly too. Yeah. Here's a question though. How ready is talent from the middle, the gut of big tech that has been fired? How ready are they to start their own company? Because, you know, we all have friends that work in major tech companies. We all hear or heard about yeah. perks at the peak and uh, the lifestyle thereof. Can you imagine taking that person and handing them a cup of noodles and saying, all right, I want you to write code in the cold for six months and then you might get a dollar. Like the early stage startup game is tough. I think you're right for some companies. While Facebook, I've, you know, I've heard it's always, it's been an anomaly. People who work there are working extremely hard and are pushed to work extremely hard. 
And so I feel like if I had to bet on a Facebook employee leaving versus another big tech company employee leaving, I would say Facebook employees are really well geared up to meet this momentum. I would say I view them less as like working like deep, deep, deep inside and like being Facebook loyalists and more like these are people who are getting paid really well to do a lot of work. And now probably for the past year have had their head somewhere else, even if it's not starting their own company. I can't imagine if you've been working at Meta, you haven't been thinking about the possibility of being laid off for over a year. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's been relatively clear that bad things were coming. But Amazon is famously a ruthless place to work. So let's put them at the top of the ready to go out there and fend for yourself. And then maybe Meta. Yeah. And then I would say Microsoft, Apple. And then I would put Alphabet at the, at the bottom. Yeah. And then Twitter is probably everywhere at this point. I don't know what Twitter is. Oh, I did. <laughs> it's in its own world, but respect to any Twitter employee watching. Hope you're okay. I think Twitter is just like Elon Musk and three hamsters running wheels to power the servers. <laughs> yeah. All right. But let's move on really quickly. Natasha, there is news about NASPERS, which we usually talk about in an investment sense and a positive cadence. But in this case, NASPERS is pulling back. And so for the founders that might want to build something, some capital is now not available. Totally. This was super surprising. We don't often see someone start a venture fund and then kind of close up shop. But Tash from our team this week broke news that Naspers is winding down its $100 million South Africa-focused venture capital fund. It was called Naspers Foundry. And, you know, yes, it's going to maintain its current investments. It will also write follow-on checks to those existing nine portfolio companies. But from the statement that we saw through a spokesperson, the TLDR is, it doesn't make sense for them anymore. They don't need to be investing early stage in South African startups from their vantage point. And I think this comes around three years after they first announced that they were open up to South African startup pitches. And so I'm curious where the energy is going to go. We know that they're not going to any longer have any staff that's going to be focused on South Africa. But in some ways, it also even feels like a final ending to an idea that surfaced in 2019 when we first covered it, which was the South African media group from their team had always been kind of less successful in contrast to some of its other global activities. So it kind of just sucks to see a bet not pay off maybe the way that they had hoped. Yeah. And I've always thought of Naspers as more of a later stage, large dollar kind of player. And so we are seeing here a company go slightly less multi-stage. And that is a hint for something else that is coming up in the show. But before we get into YC and why we are talking about them, Natasha, let's just give people <laughs> a nibble, if you will, about Silicon Valley Bank. We talked about it a lot. What is the thing people need to know? It's Friday morning. Yeah. Talk them through it. So the top thing that people need to know is that while regulators stepping in have definitely brought some calm to the startup ecosystem, I think most people I talk to are still unsure where to keep their money. Hard stop. They're still scrambling to figure out which banks are safe. Some of the fears around contagion have not been quelled just given the fact that we're hearing, you know, reports that First Republic Bank is exploring a strategic option, including a sale. Credit Suisse stock price dropped last time we checked. And now we're also hearing that the government is stepping in there. And if I sound tired, it's mostly just because I think we're seeing a lot of like whiplash around the market. And the best way I've heard it was a founder telling me BRB, storing my money in gold. And we're seeing gold's price also go up, I think 1% last time I checked, but it's just, we're at that stage of the story where people are tired and aren't tuning into it as much as before, but it's still confusing and there's still a lot of questions. So we still yeah. should pay attention to it. That's my vantage point right now. What else can I answer? Well, I, I would just say, I, I agree. I mean, we talked a lot about the main event over Friday through Tuesday. That was the first order effect. And now we're figuring out kind of the second and third order effects. Where What are the shockwaves and ripples from this? And where else have we seen stress in the market? I am concerned about overall bank health. It appears to be a bit shakier than I anticipated. 
On the other hand, perhaps we are going to see smart and intelligent and targeted regulation come into place. We have less of this in the future. And also, I think it's kind of fitting that after the party of, you know, the the last startup boom, we are now dealing with apparently a kind of late onset hangover. This does seem to be appropriate to a degree. Everything got a bit wild. And now we are dealing with the come down. So here's the jitters after drinking too much. Perfectly said. I think, you know, kind of like a hangover, your day can kind of get lost. And I think one question that a founder surfaced me recently is like, okay, the hangover is continuing. What does it mean when a whole generation of startups, their leaders are focused on disaster prevention versus disruption? What does it mean when focus is not just on building? And that's, I think, really what we're seeing this year and ahead. When things get back to normal, we're actually going to have like numbers on how funding was impacted which I'm very excited for. Yeah, I need to I need to pull some new data. The problem is I'm trying to wait long Me enough too. for the 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 impact to actually show up in the data that we can access and I'm so impatient. I want to look now, but I'm just like no, breathe. Wait till the end of the quarter, then take a look. Well, that's a perfect transition because similar to the funding environment somewhat snapping back, I'm already getting pitches for AI again. Oh yeah. I think investors are opening their inboxes again. Everyone's kind of like being how tech is, which is cyclical some would say. What's the latest this week from OpenAI that's taking over, you know, the traffic on our site even? Okay, so I want to go back a couple of days to, I think it was the first Twitter space we did about SVB. This would have been Monday or Tuesday evening. We're on Twitter and I was trying to point out that it seemed like things had really kind of turned the corner a little bit, at least in terms of the narrative and what was being talked about. Because if you pulled up TechCrunch at that moment, every single story was about AI all of a sudden. And, you know, 24 hours before it had been every single thing was about chaos. Which like, I think it's just funny to see how fast the news cycle is moving. So I'm sure, Alex, by the time this goes out tomorrow, there's going to be another surprise of stories on the front page. I can't take any more surprises. Okay. but I'm I'm very, I'm very tired. My my baby won't sleep. So fair. I am my baby and I can't sleep. I would love for baby to sleep. I am my baby. That is God. I'm so sorry for ruining your fantastic transition. I just had to, I don't know what I had to do. No, I mean, welcome to Alex and Natasha being a little punchy after a very long week. I mean, you know, I didn't work as much as you did over the weekend, but it wasn't like I was far from my desk at any point. No, you've always been online and you still are. And you should not be actually. Well, you know, Technology jobs are in a bit of danger, but media jobs are always in more danger. So we're always running scared, if you will. Anyways, the reason why all the stories had flipped to AI is because GPT-4 came out. And GPT-4 is the successor. It's the next evolution of GPT-3, which was an extremely powerful LLM or large language model that essentially allows you to throw stuff in and it brings stuff back out. GPT-4 has more capabilities. It can deal with images. And it's just kind of the next big step after the last big step in relatively quick succession, it feels like from my perspective. And so we're seeing this technology that people are enamored with and things going to find application in everything from productivity software to fridge scanning really evolve rapidly. And so I'm hype. I'm excited about this. I have many things we could build with it in mind, but I'm curious, Natasha, what was your vibe? Oh yeah. I mean, I literally messaged Kyle Wiggers from our team and I said, Hey, what's happening? What's the, you know, (laughs) how should I think about this? Like, is it like life changing? And he, hopefully he's okay with me saying this, but he was like, it's underwhelming in ways that Sam Altman himself said so. I mean, yes, it's a step forward, but it's not going to change your whole life. And I will be honest, as someone who's just peripherally paying attention to AI right now, I was expecting it to be like, okay, if chat GPT and GPT-3 are like having conversations with me, like this is going to have a conversation that I didn't even know I wanted to have. I mean, unrealistic expectations here for sure. AI itself can be so buzzy. So I'm kind of 
was kind of happy that it wasn't like trying to change the world with its latest update. I mean, I've never heard Sam Altman talk above like a, a very kind of like mezzo whisper. <laughs> and I think that makes him a pretty good spokesperson for AI because he has, he just brings a very sober affect to yeah. it. And I think it's helpful. I don't. And so here's why I'm excited. <laughs> One thing I want is, is help in my life. I want a robot to like make me coffee, bring it to me okay. and, and like just do shit for me so I can focus. Right. Yeah. And the problem with that is you have to have an intelligent system that can kind of absorb input, digest it, and then take action. And the cool thing is we now have pretty damn good speech recognition, right? So I can talk to something. It can write it down. We now have these amazingly complex, fast LLMs, GPT-4, that can ingest questions or statements and can create a corresponding answer that's pretty good. And we know that they can also write code. So in the future, I should be able to talk to a robot. It should be able to ingest my speech, run an LLM, come up with an output answer, translate that into code, and then execute it. Why doesn't this solve some of the problems with making robots bring me an espresso in the afternoon? I mean, that's a really good argument for why it's exciting. I I think as you were saying that, it comes back to something that I think OpenAI's Greg Brockman, their co-founder and president, basically said that like, he used the word turbocharge. AI is having more ability to work with context. And even if that sounds like a minimum viable requirement, requirement, yeah, yeah. it's it's actually not. So, I mean, just the fact that we could act on the fact that we know Alex, you know, likes Americanos, we can now get to a place where we remember that and we can act on that versus have to tell them everything always about your very specific coffee order at the coffee exchange. Well done. Thank you. That is where I get that's where I get my beans. Yeah. Shout out Coffee Exchange from Providence. So good. But it's not just that I'm excited about it. Microsoft is using GPT-4 in Bing's uh, search chat. Turns out they were kind of like testing it under the radar. And they also just announced along with Google, a lot of AI enhancements to their Office suites. So if you use Office or G Suite, it's coming into there. Stripe somehow is doing something with AI. I don't actually get that one yet, but you know, Stripe, they're good at staying in the media cycle. And then Duolingo. (laughs) Yeah, Duolingo is as well. I mean, I actually think it's kind of smart and I'm surprised it didn't leak as a result of this, but it's clear that like, uh, you know, GPT-4 was being tested by some of the biggest names in tech, the ones that you just mentioned, Duolingo. Reid Hoffman also published a book using GPT-4 and is doing a podcast using AI. So, you know, they kind of had this model where they were testing it with these exciting level of techies. And to me, like, if I'm going to be honest for a second, I thought it was very like endearing. It's like, why not give it to the exciting technologists and then obviously use it as a marketing plan down the road. I, I thought it was a smart idea. I'm sorry. Reed Hoffman using GPT-40 write a book is chuggy. It is. <laughs> I think it's sweet. I think it's sweet. I mean, I haven't read the book, so that's just all I have to say about that. But I do think the fact that Reed Hoffman, being Reed Hoffman, wrote a book using GPT-4, that in a statement in and of itself, I think was such a smart marketing play for the company. And I'm sure he has a lot of thoughts too. You know, he left OpenAI's board recently because he was so excited about investing in AI, he doesn't want to have competitive conflict. And so I feel like they're like activating the right people, so to speak, not the obvious ones. I mean, they've activated me because I love a technology that feels like it's going to give us like an extra arm, like a capability expansion. And like the internet was this. Suddenly, data became not only available, but interconnected. Mobile put the world's information in our pocket. Yeah. Uh, Fast internet means that we can stream anything, anywhere, in any fidelity. It's amazing. And then we haven't had that next thing yeah. for a minute and things got a little bit boring. And now I really feel like, you know, this is consistently proving itself, improving itself and showing market resonance. 
like for example, in, in one of my favorite games, Crusader Kings three, some guy took chat GPT based off of GPT three and made a mod inside Crusader Kings that would invent like narrative, like fiction wow. in your game for you to expand the role playing element of it. Like that's, that's amazing. And it's, this is my favorite part is that it's like tech. That's not just talking to tech and it's really getting attention of like everyone in our lives asking us questions that we have some answers to and a lot of answers not to. And I think, you know, just in terms of like tech needing this, like, I think that's such a good point. I think like we were getting to a place where like it's the X of Y and with, I think the Washington Post published a story today saying like, SF is coming back because of Cerebral Valley, which is the AI scene here, which, you know, I live here. I can't say I've necessarily seen that phrase used except for Eric Newcomer's event later this month, which I'll be going to. Oh, yeah, that's right. But like, it's fun that there's something new to be excited about. And for many reasons, this is a different kind of excitement than crypto. Didn't Eric like announce that event and then say you can apply to come? Yeah, I think it's going to be pretty exclusive, but I'm glad that he's having some press there. So thanks. If he didn't, I think we should like complain. <laughs> I mean, competitive, right? Like, yeah. Shout out newcomer and Eric's overall work for building a publication, his own event. I mean, like, you know. Oh my God. So he's cool. doing it. Yeah. I mean, I'm happy for Cerebral Valley to be a phrase that people are asking me about. Why not? Everyone was questioning SF. <laughs> Anything that's not people DMing me, asking me for tips about cryptocurrency. Oh. Thank you. Keep it up. Yeah. I've had musicians that I love DM me about cryptocurrencies in the past. And I just want to be like, DM me about anything else. Literally anything else. <laughs> but that. All right. Let's wrap with some YC news that we're going to tie to the broader venture capital landscape. Natasha, this week, YC is making cuts not only to its overall efforts, but also to its personnel. Yes. So YC laid off around 20% of staff this week as part of their broader plan to be writing fewer checks for late stage companies. And so in a memo, YC's new CEO, Gary Tan, he's about two months in on the job. He wrote a memo saying that investing in late stage was a distraction from their core mission, which is the accelerator, which is having demo day in just a few weeks. They are so synonymous with early stage investing, but YC's continuity fund was always looked at as like a smart, why not double down on our winners? Winners being the likes of Instacart and Airbnb when they get to a later stage company. I mean, yeah, for reasons that Alex, you unpacked, them stepping away didn't come as a super surprise. And no, it had nothing to do with SVB for their response, even though bad timing. Oh yeah, rough, rough timing. Unless you wanted to kind of bury it and then it was perfect timing. We are seeing multi-stage VC contract. And you know, if you go back to the days of the SPAC craze, VC funds were saying, hey, let, like, let her hip out. Like, we'll go early stage with you all the way through your eventual public offering. They had their own SPAC. That SPAC eventually gave up and went away, which I think is indicative of how the overall SPAC phenomena went. But we did see large funds going earlier. The idea, I think, Natasha, being that they could get it into companies and earlier stage, save money on that first chunk of equity, and then kind of buy themselves access in later rounds. And then YC was doing the opposite, which was, we found these companies. Why not keep putting money into them? And then everyone kind of sucked at not doing the thing they're good at, and they should have taken their own damn advice to founders, which is focus. focus. Actually, that is such a good parallel to make, which is like, venture's not exempt from the need to have more discipline this cycle. So we're definitely going to see more of this. And even if it's not as dramatic as... I guess we have two examples in this podcast alone of VC firms taking steps back. I think they're going to come up in different flavors as we see, whether it's not hiring as much for certain roles or like a quieter departure. But YC is so big that it's hard to hide something like this. Well, I mean, now it's 20% smaller because they just fired a bunch of people. True. Can I, can I ask you a personal question? Yes, please. So if you do our job, people sometimes try to hire you. Yeah. And sometimes they try to hire you into other industries. Have you gotten as much 
venture capitalists trying to hire you in the last six months as you had in the previous couple of years? No. It's gone down for me. It has gone down dramatically for me. That's such an interesting... I hadn't thought about that, but I've I used to get a lot more pings from VCs. Yeah. And a lot of it was, hey, do you want to come write on our blog for us? Yes. And if you remember at the peak of the last VC boom, a certain firm that I will not name because I do not want to deal with the emails, put together their own publication called, I'm going to paraphrase here, What's Next? And then it turned out <laughs> that that publication wasn't yeah. What's Next. Yeah. And I think that retrenchment and the fact that fewer people are trying to poach us is kind of the same phenomena as we're seeing here with YC and other funds trying to kind of get back to what they're good at, which is capital allocation for a certain stage. Oh my God. Maybe the TC to VC pipeline is drying up. It's definitely a boom time phenomena. Wow. Yeah. That is yeah. like, I never thought of that. I was like, we have some amazing, like high profile investors come out of TC, which is kind of crazy and cool to, and exciting, honestly, beyond all the fun jokes we make at our friends. But yeah, I, I would be surprised if we saw that happen as much as we have before in this cycle. Yeah. Here's the way that math works out, by the way, if you're curious what this looks like from our side, someone says, I will give you a lot more money, but then you have to be nice to us and do what we say. And that's the trade-off. Yeah. It's a big trade-off and probably, I mean, it's actually really an episode I want to have on Equity Wednesday at some point where we like, mm. like you, me, like Danny, maybe Alexia, maybe Josh, like just get on the mic and like, I mean, it's going to be a shit show. Don't get me wrong, but like, it would be really fun. Yeah. Don't forget Ryan Lawler was at 500 startups for a while. Perfect. And then he was at Samsung next before he went back to Axios. So there's infinite examples of this. Danny though is the best example of VC, TC, VC, TC, VC. So it's probably TC time in like what? 30 minutes? Maybe Danny's going to be back on the show in six months. <laughs> Who knows? Does, does Lux Capital still have money? Oh no. Josh, Wolf, I'm sure they do. I joke. Um, all right. We got to wrap it up. But Natasha, don't forget all of our friends are going to drop us reviews on Apple Podcasts, which we are thankful for in advance. Yes. And I want you to give us a 30 second pitch about your Wednesday episode from two days ago, because I think it was special and important. Oh, thank you. We had Brexton Pham on, who is building a competitor to SVB, but actually not really. He's building something that's for enterprises and their finances. But because of the crash, he had to come out of stealth. And we talk about that mad moment and everything that's left behind in the wake of the crash. And it's a very sober analysis. I'll give you that. And by come out, you mean come out of stealth? Yes. Yes. Come out of stealth. And I think I'm going to be doing a dinner series with him too. As a result of that podcast, we're going to have dinner with like a bunch of other tech people and talk about our hometown food. So like, I feel like that should give you a sense of how awesome the pod was. He was amazing. And I feel like I made a new friend. This is also like your superpower is that everyone you meet just freaking loves you. Aww. And so like this, <laughs> people are often thinking about reporters as these hard edged people that are like, you know, a pin in one hand and a fist in the other. Natasha just rolls in with a smile and is like, hey, so what's up? And it works so well. Thank you. Thank you. No, it's really fun. And I want to keep it up for Equity Wednesday where we get like these fun people who are not egotistical at all. It's a great track record for us to be going on right now. Yeah. Our interview show goes on Wednesdays. Our Monday show, of course, kicks off the week and our Friday show is our news roundup. Equity is in your ears three times a week. And if you need even more, you can follow us on Twitter. We tweet under the handle Equity Pod. If you want all of Natasha's scoops and vibes and good ideas, she is N-M-A-S-C underscore on Twitter. Ooh. I'm Alex on Twitter. And if you need to buy stuff from TC, use the code Equity, save money, make us look good. We're out of here. Goodbye. Goodbye. Equity Fridays are hosted by myself, Editor-in-Chief of TechCrunch Plus, Alex Wilhelm, and TechCrunch Senior Reporters, Natasha Mascarinas and Mary Ann Azevedo. We're produced by Teresa Locansolo with editing by Kel Keller. Bryce Durbin is our illustrator. Alyssa Stringer leads audience development, and Henry Pickabet manages TechCrunch audio products. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll be back next week.